Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, good morning everybody. We're on this journey through the New Testament Gospel of John. And we're taking the advice of that old church song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, but even deeper, who Jesus is, and maybe even deeper than that, to get to know him. See, here's the truth. Jesus knows you. He knows the public you and the private you. He knows your highlights and your lowlights, and he loves you totally, absolutely, and completely. That's important, you know, because I believe that for many of us, what we need to know today is that when we get to know Jesus, it truly changes everything. And maybe over the last little while, you've been feeling like, man, God just feels distant to me. I just feel kind of disconnected. I wanted to give you some good news. I really believe today that God wants you to know that he's gone before you into this moment. He's prepared this moment for you. He wants to speak to you today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've gone before us. Thank you that you have a plan for each person, watching online or in person here right now. Jesus, we trust you. I pray that what we have not, you would give us. What we know not, you would teach us. And what we are not, you would make us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So last week we talked about the first half of John chapter two. It's a joyful story, you know. Jesus shows up in this wedding in Galilee and he saves the day for a young couple. He saves them from from social disgrace and possible litigation. He turns the water into wine. It's a real joyful, happy story. But today we're going to talk about the second half of John chapter two and there's quite an abrupt shift in tone. So much so that I've heard many commentators say, and many preachers would tell you, that in the first half of John chapter 2, you see kind Jesus. And then in the second half of John chapter 2, you see angry Jesus. I couldn't disagree more strongly than I do. I really believe that what I want to show you today is that in the first half of John chapter 2, we see kind Jesus. And in the second half of John chapter 2, we see a different kind Jesus. Of kindness. John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. When the Passover feast, celebrated each spring by the Jews, was about to take place, Jesus traveled up to Jerusalem. He found the temple teeming with people, selling cattle and sheep and doves. The loan sharks were also there in full strength. It's Passover time. The Jews are celebrating the Passover. The story of the Passover is actually found in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. The Jewish people were in bondage in Egypt. They were enslaved, they were abused, they were being murdered and raped and mistreated. And they called out to God and God showed up in power and he helped them. He brought them out of slavery into the promised land. He brought them out of bondage into something beautiful. And so for over a thousand years, the Jews had been celebrating Passover every year. That that God brought them out of bondage and brought them into beautiful. And Jesus walks into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He looks around and he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. 
that here are this group of people celebrating that God brought them out of bondage, bringing themselves right back into bondage. There's something wrong with this story. To understand the kind of bondage they were stepping into, I'm probably going to have to get a little bit heavy with you right now, get a little bit deep with you right now, and I want to talk to you about sin. I think we need to understand what sin is. Now, to explain that, I want to bring us back to last week. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus turned the water into wine, right? How cool was that? And it started when he said to some servants, he said, hey, take those stone water pots, fill them up right to the brim. And and, and the servants did it. And Jesus used that water and turned that water into wine. What an incredible thing. And then we asked ourselves this question, why did Jesus have to involve the servants? Like, couldn't he have done the miracle without them? Couldn't he have saved that young couple's day without the servants? And the answer, of course, is yes. Jesus didn't need to use the servants, so why did he? Why did he invite the servants into this work that he was doing? And the answer was kindness. The answer is kindness. Jesus invited them into this incredible work because he's kind. But I want you to think about it for just a second, okay? Jesus says to the servants, hey, I want you to take this water pot, Stone water pot, 100 liters. 100 liters. You just fill it up for me. Like, you're not telling me that there wasn't at least a part of them going, no, no. Dumb idea. Don't want to do it. No. You look, 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 look. I'm not the idiot that didn't order enough wine, okay? It's not my problem. I, I don't want to go fill this 100 liter stone water pot. And yet they did it. And the story ends, and it's an amazing miracle. And I think for those servants, they were glad, they were blessed that they were a part of it. Now, I mention all of that to you because I need you to know something, that God's still at work. Like, the truth is, I haven't seen him turn water into wine lately, but he's still at work. He wants to get to work in my life. He wants to get to work in your life. And then he wants to work through my life, through your life, to bless the world. He, he, he's at work in me, and he's at work in you, and he's at work through us to be a blessing to the world. But the truth is, every time that God speaks to us, we have to make a decision. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to step in? Are we going to, quote unquote, fill the water pot? Are we going, are we going to trust his voice? People say to me sometimes, well, how do I know that it's God speaking to me? And I would say this, overarchingly, here's the way that you know it. God's a giver. God's a giver. Next week, we're going to talk about John chapter 3. And one of the most famous verses in the Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life life. God is a giver. How do you recognize the voice of God in your life? When you're reading the Bible, when you're listening to a sermon, when you're driving in your car, when you're looking up at the map, how do you know that it's God speaking to you? Well, God's a giver. So this is what you know. When the voice that you hear speaking to you, calling you into a step of obedience is a voice of generosity, that's God. Okay, let's go back to the servants in the water pots for a second. Jesus says, hey, fill these suckers up to the brim, please. And there's got to be a part of them going, no. 
every time God speaks to you and speaks to me, there's a part of us every time going, no. Right, so, so when we hear God speak and he speaks a word of generosity, there's another voice, the voice of sin in my life that says, let's go with greed instead. When, when God speaks and, and he speaks a word of humility, because right, God's humble, right? God is humble. Humble isn't thinking less of yourself. Humble is thinking of yourself less. That's why we read in Philippians chapter two that your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on a cross. Why did Jesus die? Because he was thinking about you and he was thinking about me. So when God's voice speaks into our life, it's a voice of humility, but there's always another voice, a voice of sin in my life and says, no, 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 I'm not gonna think less of myself. I'm not gonna think of myself less. I'm gonna think of myself more. When God's voice speaks, it's always a voice of love. Love is to work and to will for the good of others. To work and to will for the good of others. But every time God's voice speaks a word of love to me, there's a voice of sin in my life that speaks a word of lust. Lust is just, hey, you're a means to an end. What can you do for me? God's voice always speaks uh, other-focused. Focus on the other. The voice of sin in my life is always going to focus on more self-focused. So why, why would I listen to the voice of God? Why would I listen to that voice of generosity? Why would I listen to that voice of humility? Why would I trust that voice of love? Why would I trust that voice of other-focused living? Why would I do that? Because God's a giver. God's a giver. God's plan is that as we step out, as we listen to his voice, as we trust his voice, that we would be blessed as he works in us and we would be a blessing as he works through us. Make sense? But there's always a voice of doubt. Voice of faith says, God's a giver. I have no idea why I'm walking back and forth on this stage, but I'm getting exhausted, okay? I'm not as young as I used to be, I'll tell you that. Voice of faith says, God's a giver. I'll be blessed, I'll be a blessing. Voice of doubt says, no. He's a taker, he's holding out on me. And that brings me back to Passover 2,000 years ago. Jesus comes walking and he's like, this is not the picture that we're looking for here. Here's why. Somewhere along the line, there was a group of religious Jews led by the Pharisees that made this decision. They came to believe. I don't think it happened all at once. But they obeyed the voice of fear and fear and fear in their life. And this group of religious Jews led by the Pharisees became, came to believe or came to act like they believe that God is a taker. God's a taker, man. He's a task master. I got to earn it. I got to behave myself or God's going to get me. And so what the Pharisees did was they came up with over 600 laws just to make sure that I don't get God after me, that God isn't upset with me, that God doesn't come get me. Okay? So now here's Passover. 2.5 million people descended upon Jerusalem for Passover. 
2.5 million people a year would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And there's two things that you needed to celebrate Passover. Number one, you needed a sacrifice. You needed a sacrifice. So cattle or sheep or a dove, something to sacrifice. And people came from hundreds of kilometers away to celebrate. Okay, and the, and, and, the, and the intent of Passover was this exuberant faith. God said, bring me your first fruits. Bring me the best and the brightest from your flocks and your herds. And, and if God's a giver, you come and you bring the best and the brightest of your flock and your herd, and you say, God, you're a giver. And I have this open-handed faith that says there's plenty more where this came from. That was the intention of the Passover sacrifice. Does that make sense? Okay, so if God's a giver, I bring the best and the brightest from my flock or my herd, and I give it and I go, God, I trust you. You are a giver. There's plenty more where this came from. But remember the Pharisees? 600 plus rules. And so the people, the Jewish people, even from uh, other nations, 2.5 million of them descended upon Jerusalem, and they had come to believe in big ways and small ways. God's a taker. And so the sacrifices they brought, they weren't, they weren't the best and the brightest. They weren't their first fruits. They were like the last resort. So if I had a, a, an animal in my flock that was like uh, blind or crippled or stunted, I'd bring that one. What's the intention of the Passover sacrifice? God, you're a giver. I got this exuberant faith that says there's plenty more where this came from. What had it become? Here, take it. Don't get mad at me. Legalism led to fear and doubt. Now what you wish would have happened is that the Pharisees and the religious Jews would have looked and said, oh, come on, man. This is gross. Somewhere we've given people the wrong idea of God. Like this isn't what it was supposed to be. We gotta back off on our 600 rules. We gotta, we gotta remind people again that God is a giver, but they didn't do that. You know what they did? They doubled down. They doubled down on their legalism. So they sent officials out to the temple courts. And as you walked up, as I walked up with our sacrifice to celebrate Passover, the officials would look and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-mm. Not good enough. By the way, this is also classism. Because you imagine I come from a really, really poor family. I have a very small flock, a very small herd, even the best and the brightest of mine. You might look at the official, might look at mine and go, not good enough. So now there's people who are traveling for like hundreds and hundreds of kilometers and they show up, man, I can't wait to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And they show up and the official says, hey, thanks for coming out. Go away. But then they get an idea. The officials start saying this. Hey, thanks for coming out. Awesome to have you. Uh, you can't come in. Well, wait a minute though, actually. My brother is just standing right over here. It just so happens he has some acceptable sacrifices. He would be happy to sell you one at 10 times the cost. And now I've come from hundreds, and if, what choice do I have? You see how sin starts to spiral, right? Like, I get it. That's gross. Like, here, take it. Don't get mad at me. That's kind of gross. Reminds me, Corinne and I have 
some friends that were missionaries in Central America. And they had this small church that was supporting them. And every month, members of the church took turns sending them a care package. And she told us once how many months in a row that in the care packages that they received from this little church, they got used tea bags. How in the world does that happen? How do you become the kind of person that sends used tea bags to missionaries in Central America? Easy. Easy could happen to anybody. You just go from here. God, you're a giver. Man, I bring you my best and my brightest because I know there's plenty more that, where that came from. And all you do is you transition over here. God, you're a taker. What's the least I can do so you don't get mad at me? But now the sin starts to spiral. Started with legalism, then fear, then classism, and now greed. And eventually, it got to this point. So me and my brother got a good racket going, right? Because every time someone brings a bad sacrifice, I go, hey, buy one off of him. But then I think to myself, 2.5 million people. It'd be cool if we could just rip every one of them off. So now when you come with a good sacrifice, I go, no, not quite, nice try. Go buy one from my brother. Then I take your sacrifice and I sell it to some sucker later. That's the Jerusalem that Jesus walks into. 2,000 years ago. And he says, something's not right. So number one, you needed a sacrifice. The second thing you needed was you needed a temple tax. A temple tax. And you couldn't pay the temple tax, by the way, with foreign currency. Because foreign currency had the image of a, a foreign ruler on it, which the Jews considered idolatry. So you had to pay the temple tax with Jewish currency. Classism again. Because wealthy people had the means and the ability to get their currency changed. Poor people would show up from distant lands and they brought all that they could and the officials would stand there and go, oh man, thank you so much for coming all the way from Red Deer. That's amazing of you to show up. I uh, can't take your currency. So, oh wait, my cousin is just right over here. And if I talked to him real nice, he would probably change your currency for you at ridiculous rates. The closest example I could give you from our culture would be payday loan companies. Payday loan companies, what a bunch of beautiful people they are, eh? <laughs> they go after the poor and the miserable. People who are living paycheck to paycheck, who can't quite make it to the next one, and they say, man, I need money before I get paid, and the payday loan company goes, we're there for you. We'd love to lend you some money until payday at 450% annual interest. When we were looking for land to build this building on, I was talking to a friend of mine who owns land all over the place, and I said, man, I sure hope we can get a good deal on a piece of land. He says, what do you mean, good deal? I was thinking, like, what do you mean, what do I mean? Like, pretty simple, a good deal. And then he went on, he said, I hope by a good deal you don't mean this that we find somebody and we pay them below market value for the land and have them walking away going, man, that hurt. He said, I hope what you mean by a good deal is that both parties walk away going, that was awesome. See, Jesus walked into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. 
and he saw that this picture was not what it should be. So Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right. He told the dove merchants, get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture, zeal for your house consumes me. It should be noted that it takes a little while to make a leather whip. It should be noted that it takes a little while to make a leather whip. This is really important. It should be noted that it takes a little while to make a leather whip. Why do I say that? Because sometimes you hear people say, uh, Jesus lost it. Jesus didn't lose it. He didn't have a rage blackout. Jesus made a leather whip intentionally and with a sense of calculation. Why? See, sometimes we look, when we read through the Gospels and we look, man, those stupid Pharisees, just wrecking everything. Jesus needs to beat them down. Oh, good, he made a whip. He's gonna beat them down. That's not why he made a whip. He made a whip to call them up. He made a whip not to beat them down. He made a whip to call them up. Come on, guys. This is no kind of life. Bunch of miserable people making other people miserable. What kind of life is that? Hey, what do you do for a living? I just rip off really poor people. Just take them for everything they're worth. It's awesome. Jesus says, come on, come on, come on. He, he doesn't make the whip to beat them down. He makes it to call them up. See, sometimes kindness looks like wine. Sometimes it looks like a whip. Jesus is always kind. Sometimes he makes wine. Sometimes he makes a whip. Always, always, always to call you up, to call me up. It's a pretty bad scene, Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It's pretty bad. It's racism too, right? Because all the scam artists, they hang out in the outer courts. And that was as far as the Gentiles could go. When they wanted to celebrate Passover, the Gentiles could only get into the outer courts. Gentiles, by the way, were non-Jews by nationality who had come to believe in the God of the Bible. Non-Jews by nationality who had converted to Judaism. And they show up at the temple and they can only get as far as the outer courts and they're standing there getting worked over by the scam artists. Nice. Jesus says, there's something wrong with this picture. You were born for more than this. Miserable people making people miserable. Come on. Kind of reminds me of John the Baptist showed up in history baptizing people, but he wasn't the first person who ever baptized. The Jews were baptizing long before John the Baptist. Did you know that? And, and the reason why the Jews would baptize before John the Baptist is because if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew who wanted to convert to Judaism, they would baptize you. It was called a baptism of cleansing. It was like this. Let's just wash all that Gentileness off of you. And then maybe we'll let you come so that we can rip you off and you can hang out in the outer courts. And then John the Baptist comes and his is not a baptism of cleansing. It's a baptism of repentance. He says, if you feel like you need more, if you feel like you need to repent, 
that you're lacking something, that you're sinful, that you need help, come get baptized. And hundreds of people flock to John the Baptist to get baptized, including religious Jews. And then Jesus showed up, and now it's a new kind of baptism. We're celebrating baptism in two weeks. It's not a baptism of cleansing exclusively. It's not a baptism of repentance exclusively. The baptism that you and I practice now is called a baptism of faith. That, that we, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we needed help and you helped us. That, that, that we've decided that when the Bible said, when, when Jesus said, believe and be baptized, baptism now is us saying, I've heard your voice. I've heard your voice, Jesus, and I believe that you're a giver. So I'm in. I'm in. And when we get baptized, it's like, without you, Jesus, I, I, I was lost. I was lost. I needed help. But with you, I am found. I'm good to go today, tomorrow, and forever. So I would say this to you. If you believe in Jesus, it's not a baptism of perfection, by the way. It's a baptism of faith. If you believe in Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, can I implore you? Can I implore you? Our God is a giver. Our God is a giver. When God speaks to you, when he speaks to me, he's not looking to take, he's looking to call us into a place where we are blessed and we are a blessing. So I would love it if you would text the keyword dunk to 604-670-3040, depending on what kind of life you've lived, we'll hold you up, hold you under for no longer than two and a half minutes, but it's going to be awesome. At some point in our lives, this is the question. Do you trust him? Is he a giver? Because then, and I know none of us are perfect, but then more and more is this exuberant life of faith, which is that, God, I trust you. I know there's plenty more where that came from. Jesus is always kind. Sometimes he makes wine and sometimes he makes a whip, but he's always looking to call us up. Last summer, we did a series on the 12 steps of recovery. And partway through this, that series, I remember a young man speaking in a group that I was a part of, and he said, you know what? I've been a Christian for years and years, and I didn't think that I had any flaws. Now, that sounds real bad. He, he, he's not an arrogant kid, but he was just saying, I don't have any like, obvious flaws. But he said, we've been working through this 12-step series, and I realized, listen to this, listen to his choice of words, and I realized, and I realized, listen, this is so important, and I realized, God's not done with me. What a beautiful thing. Man, I'm so happy that God's not done with me. See, there's something about you, you and me, we are pattern people. We are pattern people. Now, you should have saw first service. It was worse. Because in first service, I said this. You are pattern people. In fact, I can tell you right now, you're sitting in the same seat or roughly the same seat that you've sat in for the last seven weeks. And you guys are second service rebels. You barely get up at the crack of noon. I get it, okay? So, so but, 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 okay. But for many of us, we're just, we're pattern people. Now, listen. This is important. So you become a Christian. You, you, you trust Jesus. And he makes you spiritually brand new. Okay? But, but, but you still got this part 
uh, of your life is called the flesh, my mind, my will, and my emotions. So I'm brand new spiritually, but in the flesh, I still have my mind, my will, and my emotions, and there, there's patterns there. And so I start following Jesus. I become new spiritually. I go to church, and I decide to myself, I'm going to church now. I can't do any public sins anymore, you know? Or I can't do public sins anymore. No public intoxication for me. I can't go to the strip club. You know, can't streak at the Vancouver Whitecaps game anymore, okay? Like, I just, I can't do stuff like that. But there's patterns. There's patterns. Listen. There's still a part. I don't know why I keep walking back and forth, man. (laughs) Something wrong with me, okay? There's a part of me that still thinks there's patterns in me that I live as if God's a taker. As if, Man, I can't streak at the white caps game. You gotta be kidding me. Oh well, oh well. But, but, since God's a taker, he's holding out on me, um, I can still gossip. No one can pin that one on me. Uh, private greed, sins in the comfort and the privacy of my own house. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Do you see it? It's a flawed pattern. And we all, listen, we all, we all struggle with it. And so God shows up in our lives. Sometimes he makes wine, sometimes he makes a whip, but he's always there to say, I want to call you up. I want to call you up. So the pipeline drives me crazy. The pipeline has been here for months and months and years and decades building this stupid pipeline on the land, right? Tell him lots of pipeline stories lately. Uh... So when the pipeline first showed up, they put a barricade across the road, okay? Stop on the barricade, stop, okay? So you would pull up to the barricade and you would stop, and then way like 25 meters down the road, there was a flagger. And you would sit, stop there and you would wait until the flagger uh, saw you, and then they would, I was gonna say, saunter over. They weren't breaking any speed records, okay? But that's neither here nor there. They would walk over, they would move the barricade, and then you would drive through. So on one particular day, I'd been in and out of the property about three times, and on my third time in, I got to the barricade, the flagger was 25 meters away, having a great conversation with somebody with with her back turned to me, and and it was forever, like probably 22 seconds, but it felt like forever, okay? Okay? So I think to myself, listen to this thought, listen to this. This is what I think to myself. I'm busy. I'm busy. So I drive around the barricade and I keep driving down the road and she turns around from her conversation and sees me and starts waving her arms and running towards my car. So I roll down my window and she says to me, why did you drive around the barricade? And I said, I'm busy. And I kept driving, okay? So it's Wednesday, which is staff chapel day at Southside Church. And so we had staff chapel uh, and it was awesome. I remember walking out of staff chapel and I was just thinking to myself, I love our staff. They're so humble, you know? They don't think less of themselves, but they think of themselves less. I'm just so proud of them. They pray for each other. They pray for you. They pray for the city. It's really, really a beautiful thing. I'm so proud of how humble the staff is. They think of themselves less. So I'm walking out of chapel feeling so proud of our humble staff and somebody says, hey, Mike, one of the supervisors from the pipeline wants to talk to you. And I think to myself, 
I'm busy. So I said, Can tell, tell them to talk to Dave Poole, our expansion pastor who kind of handles our facilities. And, and she says to me, no, he asked for you by name. I still have included him. So I start to think to myself, oh man, he's just gonna say, thank you so much, Mike. You guys are amazing to let us build this stupid pipeline on the land. And it's just so awesome. Put up with the inconvenience. And I sit down and he says, hey, uh, Mike? Uh, yeah, yeah. He says, one of our flaggers was upset this morning because she said, listen to what she said. Pastor Mike. I had not introduced myself. Pastor Mike, the lead pastor of Southside Church, blew through the barricade today. We are for this city, except for slow flaggers, I'll tell you that right now. And he went on, honestly, and he kind of apologized because their system was stupid, and it was, but I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm thinking, Pastor Mike, the lead pastor of Southside Church, blew through the barricade so proud of the staff, you know? They think of themselves less. They're not self-absorbed or self-centered. Hey, 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 listen. I'm, I'm busy. That's pretty sad. But then I thought about it. And I got pretty grateful. How in the world do you become the kind of person that sends used tea bags to missionaries in Central America. How could that happen? Oh, easy, easy, easy. All you do is you stop listening to the voice of God in your life. And when God says humble, you say, nope, I'm busy. That's the road, that's the road, that's the road. And God said, nope. I'm calling you up, Mike. I'm calling you something better. Just like he did with the religious Jews 2,000 years ago. But the Jews were upset. They asked, what credentials can you present to justify this? Jesus answered, tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll put it back together. They were indignant. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? But Jesus was talking about his body as the temple. Later, after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered he had said this. Then they put two and two together and believed both what was written in scripture and what Jesus had said. We're such pattern people. Such pattern people. Here they are over here. Miserable people making other people miserable. But their mind and their will and their emotions, their flesh, their flesh has convinced them this is a life, man. Miserable person making people miserable. This is the life. They were indignant. How dare you call me up? What in the world was Jesus thinking that day? Oh, you know what he was thinking? I love you. I love you. I'm calling you up. You're a miserable person making people miserable. Come on, man. During the time he was in Jerusalem... Those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying and seeing they pointed straight to God, entrusted their lives to him. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them. He knew them inside and out, knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them. 
You're gonna notice a pattern as we continue this journey through John. There's a lot of people who start following Jesus for a lot of reasons. For some people, they follow him because uh, he gave me a free lunch yesterday, maybe he'll give me a free lunch again today. For some people, they follow him around because he's a light show, man. Like one day he's making wine, the next thing he's making a whip. This is so cool, let's just check this out. But the truth is Jesus isn't looking to be our entertainment. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, if belief is nothing more than admiration for the spectacular, it will create in multitudes applause. But the Son of God can't commit himself to that kind of faith. I guess there's stages in our life when we kind of see Jesus as like a genie in a bottle. I think there's other stages in our life when we see Jesus as like a good luck charm. And maybe there's times when we see him as like entertainment. But Jesus loves us way too much to leave us there. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me today and he says, I'm not a genie in a bottle. I'm so much more. I'm not your good luck charm. I'm so much more. I'm not entertainment. I'm so much more. Why in the world does he want to be more? Because he loves you so much. Jesus says to you and he says to me today, no matter how long you've been attending church, by the way, I'm not your genie. I'm not your entertainment. I am not your good luck charm. Well, who is he then? Oh, he's your savior. He's your everything. And what does he ask in return from you and me? Well, the plan is that we would be blessed and we would be a blessing. So what does he ask from you and me? Just this, just this, just one thing, just faith. Just faith. It says, God, you are a giver. Speak, speak and I'll listen. And to the best of my ability, one little next step at a time. I'm going to follow you. Let's pray. For God so loved the world, he gave us Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are a giver. That your plan is not always easy. <laughs> your plan is not always fun. It's not always even safe but it's so good. I wonder right now, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if I could just ask you one personal question. How are you? How are you? Are you blessed? Are you a blessing? Deep down inside, how are you feeling? Because I... I think I just really wanted to remind you, I wanted to let you know today, whether this is your first day in church, whether this is your first day online, I wanted you to know that Jesus loves you, that God sent his son for you because he is a giver. And his plan is real simple. He died so that your sins could be forgiven. And on the third day, he rose again so that you can rise to, to the life that you were born to live, becoming the person that you were created to be today, tomorrow, and forever. And we just follow him one next step at a time. So I guess what I want to ask you right now is today your first step. Is today your first step. After everything Jesus did for you, today might be the day that you say, Jesus, I want to begin that journey with you.
I wanna move into this place of being blessed and being a blessing. So if you've never taken that opportunity, if you've never accepted that gift, if you've never stepped out into faith with eyes closed and heads bowed, you just wanna raise your hand right now because I wanna pray for you. Nice and high if you don't mind. That's awesome, awesome. It's amazing. For those of you who just raised your hand, I'm gonna continue praying and you can just pray silently along with me. Jesus, I thank you that you are a giver. I don't know everything about you, but I know that. I believe that. So today I ask you to be my savior. I hand you my sin and my shame and my regret. I pray that you would take it. And today I invite you to be my Lord in faith, that you would give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and forever. And Jesus, for the rest of us, maybe we've been going to church for 40 years, whatever it was, we're so thankful that you're not done. Now, not everybody blows through barricades like me, but for every one of us, there's some area in our life maybe that we, we just need to learn to trust you, that you're calling us up to something better. And we just say to you right now, Lord, we confess to you right now, we're listening, we're listening. <laughs> in all our patterns and all our frailty, we're listening and we're following and we love you in your name, amen, amen. Let's celebrate you guys. Hey, if you were here and you raised your hand or online, I would love to, if, you could, if you could just text the keyword life to 604-670-3040. We just wanna cheer you on and travel this journey with you. Also next week, John 3, wow. Bring everybody you can, I love you guys, we'll see you then. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.